Very good. Thank you. Uh, This sermon is really part two, following on last Sunday's sermon from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and there is a part three to come. So we're making our way rapidly through uh, Romans. Um, Let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his word. Our gracious Lord, we are thankful that in your great love for us, you speak truth to us. You tell us what is right and good for us. You call us into life and peace and joy. And so, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts and minds and enable us to receive your word as your word, your word of love, your word of truth, your word of peace, your word of life, that we might live for your glory now and forever. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. It is written. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The gl- The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, and to his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. I find Romans 12, 2 to be quite challenging, personally. When I hear the word of God say to me, do not be conformed to this world, I hear not only an exhortation, but also a call to self-examination. In what ways am I conformed to this world so that my life is not consistent with my personal profession of faith in Jesus Christ? In what ways are my values, priorities, goals, hopes, dreams, definitions of happiness determined more by this world than by the word of God. And when I hear the command to be transformed by the renewal of my mind, I am reminded that every day, every day, I am called to grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ from the inside out. There's a lot here in this one verse. First, a brief review. Chapter 12 marks a major transition in the letter to the Romans. At chapter 12, we move from doctrine to discipleship. As we said last Sunday, we move from the what to the so what. Chapter 12 begins with the authoritative exhortations, the imperative commands for discipleship. But these exhortations are based on the doctrine which the Apostle Paul has already set forth in the preceding chapters. The doctrine of, ready, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
God's way, God's way of salvation for helpless, hopeless sinners by His mercy. And so in verse 1, Paul refers to the mercies of God, the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ with all the blessings that flow from His mercy. This is the basis of his imperative exhortations. I appeal to you, I urge you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, last Sunday, we focused on verse 1, which calls us, in response to the mercies of God, to present our bodies in the tangible, specific realities of our bodily parts to God as a living sacrifice so that every day in all that we do, we offer a worship service to God in our daily life. Now, in verse 2, we are further commanded not to be conformed to this world, but rather to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Now, this refers to the most basic perspective through which we view the world and our lives and out of which, the most basic perspective, out of which we interact in all our experiences in life. We could call it our world view, what we believe, what we think, why we think it, and, and how we think, how the logic flows in our mind at the deepest levels of our consciousness. Because whether we realize it or not, and the point is we need to realize and wake up to the fact that every philosophy, every ideology, every idea, every uh, social agenda, cultural trend, every every thought has a spiritual origin, a spiritual intelligence behind it, one way or the other. And we need to realize that this world, that is this world of spiritual fallenness in rebellion against God, is constantly applying pressure upon us to shape our minds, to influence our thinking at the deepest level so that our lives, our behavior, will then be conformed to the values and standards and thought patterns of this fallen world in opposition to God. So it may help to note that in the Greek New Testament, the word world in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, the Greek word does not refer to the physical creation. But rather, the underlying Greek word is the word aeon, or we would say eon, or age. Now that has a different nuance about it. It refers not to the physical creation, but to a Time, as in the time in which we live, the eon, the age in which we live, with a kind of spiritual nuance about it, the attitudes, values, ways of thinking in this eon or age in which we live. 
That is the age which is under the corruption of sin. This this period of history in which we live ever since Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. Which in Galatians 1, Paul refers to as, quote, the present evil age. The eon or age also to which the Apostle Paul refers in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, when he says that, quote, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Well, the God of this age is obviously Satan. Now, the true God, the creator, the only true and living God is the God of the creation, the cosmos, in which we live, but Satan is the God of this age, this sin-corrupted age in which we live. And so in verse 2, when the scripture says, do not be conformed to this world, it is commanding us not to be conformed to the attitudes, values, ways of thinking, and therefore behaviors that prevail in this evil age, which remains in spiritual darkness, in rebellion against God. Rather, by contrast, we are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Our minds are to be shaped not by this present evil age, but by the age to come. The age in which God's kingdom of righteousness, peace, glory, joy will fill the new creation. We are called to think and to live now in accordance with the age to come because, in fact, in Christ... We have been born anew as new creatures of the new creation. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. There is new creation. The the age to come, the age of glorious redemption and renewal, has actually broken through into the lives of believers by the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about what the scripture says. Through our faith union with Christ, we have died with Christ and have been spiritually raised with him to walk in newness of life. And therefore, we are called to think and to live now as citizens of heaven, even in this fallen world. Colossians 1.13 says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And therefore, we are called to set our minds on things that are above. That is, to set our minds on the eternal truth and righteousness and goodness and glory of God, and not let our minds be taken captive by this present evil age. But what is particularly and personally challenging for me is that in the culture in which we live, I mean, I mean, Washtenaw Parish, I mean, North Monroe, conformity to this world, this fallen age, can look very normal, very nice, socially acceptable. Dr. David Wells has written quite poignantly that, I quote, Worldliness is that system of values. Worldliness is that system of values which has at its center our fallen human perspective. 
system of values which has at its center our fallen human perspective which displaces God and his truth from the world and which makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. It thus gives great plausibility to what is morally wrong and for that reason makes what is wrong seem normal. Worldliness is that system of values which has at its center our fallen human perspective, which displaces God and his truth from the world and which makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. Now this upside-down perspective, this ungodly way of thinking is part and parcel of the fallen human nature. Remember what Romans 1 says that through the corrupting effect of sin, fallen humanity, quote, became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The scripture uses words such as futile, foolish, and darkened to describe the fallen mind and heart, the inmost being corrupted by sin. There is something terribly wrong with the way in which fallen humanity under the corrupting power of sin, perceives, interprets, and interacts with reality. It's all askew. Such that the fallen condition, the fallen sinful condition is manifested in basically and ultimately two things, idolatry and immorality. That is the worship of false gods and the violation of God's law. As we said last Sunday, idolatry is not simply a matter of primitive peoples in faraway places worshiping carved images. It also has to do with us. In all our modern American sophistication, worshiping the false gods of this age, which we think will make us important, powerful, happy, successful, and fulfilled. And therefore, even as Christian believers, our lives are always vulnerable to being conformed to this world. Tomorrow is the 45th anniversary of the legalization of abortion in the United States. In our lifetime, there has been no greater or worse illustration of the way in which the mind of this nation has been conformed to the ideology of this evil age in which we live. Almost 50 million unborn children willfully killed. That's a lot of innocent blood. And the sickening thing about it, other than the fact of it, is that for the last 45 years, the mainline Protestant churches as institutions have advocated for the legality of abortion, calling evil good. $500 million of your and my money in taxes still pays for it. Why has this nation not yet rid itself of this horrific, barbaric, inhuman, cannibalistic, pagan sacrifice? Because the mind of this nation, including a portion of the professing Christian church, 
has been conformed to this age. I raise this issue not only because tomorrow is the 45th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, but also because the abortion issue is a prime example of how even professing Christians can become conformed to this age. The the so-called right, so-called right to abortion is part of a larger thought pattern that has taken hold of our culture following the sexual revolution of the 60s. Now, I want you to think. I want you to think. I want you to think with me. The sexual revolution of the 1960s changed our minds about sex. It disconnected sex from marriage and the family and from children and made it all about me. There's an evil spiritual origin to that idea. The sexual revolution redefined sex as, first of all, and primarily, a matter of psychological liberation and personal fulfillment. It took sex out of the context of marriage, disconnected it from the procreation of children within a family and with a view toward future generations, and made it all about the individual in the present moment. That's a big shift in thinking. The pill simply empowered that shift all the more, further disconnecting sex from procreation and the family. So sex, without any regard for family, without regard for future generations, without regard for the common good of society in general, and I should say among Christians, the idea of bearing children uh, in order to raise them up to love and serve the Lord, you see, sex then became a strictly individual and private matter, which was exactly the argument which the United States Supreme Court used to legalize abortion. The justices found a so-called right to privacy in the Constitution, which, of course, does not exist. But the mind of this age was already tilted and headed in that direction. So if sex isn't about family, what do you do? with an unwanted child. So abortion has become another form of so-called birth control, which it is not. Because it fits with, it conforms to the thinking, the mind, the worldview of the sexual revolution of this age. Now let me pause here pastorally to say, It's not my intent to hurt anyone or simply to lambast you on this subject. The sexual immorality revolution has been one of the most hurtful scourges unleashed from hell upon this nation. And women who have had abortions have been victimized, victimized by the lies which the spirit of this evil age has been telling us for 50 years. 
Abortion also has to every bit as much to do with men as with women, and more so, I would say, and sometimes with the parents of young women. I understand that there's always a context, but that context, you see, has been overwhelmed by the spirit of the age. But the gospel promise is still true for all who come to Jesus. Remember the mercies of God. The mercies of God. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had made a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. But getting back to the point here in relation to this passage, it it is for us to see the connection, to see what it means to be conformed to this age, to recognize the lies, the ungodly antichrist lies, which the spiritual forces of this age want us to believe so that our lives will be conformed to their ideology in rebellion against God. That's what conformity to the world is, aligning ourselves with the forces which oppose the kingdom of Christ. So let's think further about the implications and the consequences 45 years after Roe v. Wade. In our generation, sex became a matter of psychological liberation and personal pleasure, personal fulfillment, disconnected from marriage, disconnected from family, disconnected from the larger society, disconnected from future generations. Abortion became legal. Divorce became easy. Mainline Protestantism swallowed no fault, divorce, hook, line, and sinker. Because, after all, you know, now marriage is not about family. Marriage is not about the future. Marriage is not about the common good of society. For Christians, it's no longer about bearing children for the increase of Christ's church. Rather, marriage is about me and my self-actualization, my personal happiness, and my personal fulfillment. And so, since marriage is really about me and my personal happiness, my personal fulfillment, since marriage is not really about family, not really about the next generation, since sex is not about procreation, then, then why not? Why should it matter? You with me? You know where this is going? Why should it matter? If two men want to get married, it's all part of a larger system of thought intended to conform us to this age in rebellion against God. In conformity with the present evil age, in conformity with the futility of mind and darkened heart of this age, Sexual immorality and all that goes with it, including abortion, including the redefinition of marriage, including the chaos and confusion of gender fluidity, all of it, all of it seems to make sense 
It all conforms to the pattern of thought of this age. It makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. That is the world in which the Apostle Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the world in which we are called to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sexual immorality is just one example, but let me say, it's a big deal in the New Testament. When the Apostle Paul taught his Gentile, pagan, Greco-Roman converts about living the Christian life, he started there. So let me tell you. I'm on a good foundation in addressing these issues from the pulpit. But, of course, we could also address the issue of American consumerism as though all this stuff will really satisfy our souls and make us happy as though Amazon Prime delivers things to our doorstep from heaven. (laughs) That's a lie. We could address the issue of our main purpose in life, our chief end, our goal, being to accumulate wealth and die in our sleep. That's a lie, but it sure is a powerful one out there. We could address the issue of our craving lust for popularity, power, prestige, looking good. Or we could address the issue of, shall we say, travel soccer. Or some other athletic activity on the Lord's Day or any other worldly activity which kidnaps. Kidnaps. Kidnaps our children from us on the one day. God has specifically set aside for us and our children. Why do we conform? Why? Pharaoh says, make bricks without straw. Bow down before Pharaoh. Make bricks without straw. Give him our kids. Let him throw them in the Nile River. Why? Why do we do that? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Transformed metamorphosed, changed from the inside out by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of our minds takes place by the grace of the Holy Spirit. When the truth of God's Word, the truth of Jesus Christ Himself is in the center, at the very core, at the foundation, of all our thinking when all our thoughts start with Him as Lord of our lives and His Word as the truth for our lives. That's where the renewal of our mind starts so that we are transformed more and more into Christ's likeness from the inside out. But... More on that, if the Lord wills, next Sunday. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, 
in response to the mercies of God. The blood-bought mercies of God do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And to the God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word of life and your word of truth. Your truth, O Lord, sets us free, free in Jesus Christ to be the image bearers of your glory, which you have created us to be. Grant us grace, grant us wisdom, grant us power, grant us humility as we seek to follow you faithfully. Through Christ our Savior. Amen. In response to the word of God, let us affirm our faith as we stand together and read responsively.